Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I am excited about this one, and you should be too. Y'all know Rebecca Zung. I know you do. But before we get into introducing Rebecca, I want to talk to you about a few things that are going on um, around here in the Divorce Survival Guide world. The first is, you know, I'm not sure if you're on my email list or not. You may not have received this, but I sent an email earlier this week about the Thrive Fund. And that is something that we have created. (laughs) over here at the Divorce Survival Guide. Um, It was created by um, one of my clients and friend, and then a group of others um, have sort of joined on, joined forces in this, because what we see often, you know, look, you know the rhetoric, right? Why doesn't she just leave? There are many, 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 many reasons that women don't just leave. And one of the biggest blocks is financial abuse. It takes the average of seven times for a woman to finally uh, leave an emotionally abusive or any kind of abusive uh, relationship. And um, it's really hard to find um, support and the strength, let alone the finances. And the thing about financial abuse is that it underpins all other forms of abuse, whether it's emotional, physical, or otherwise. Right. Because you take away a victim's financial ability to leave and you maintain that much more control. Right. Control the purse strings, control the woman. But research has found that abuse victims and or survivors, whichever word you choose, they only need an average of seven hundred and fifty dollars to be able to leave immediately. Seven hundred and fifty dollars. And for many victims and survivors, that number is completely out of reach. But for many of us, right, people who are not currently in that situation, like the idea of raising $750 should really be a no-brainer. Surely there are organizations out there that can help women with $750 to break free. There are, but there are a lot of barriers (laughs) for a lot of these, right? So when a woman needs to get out, especially um, of a physically or, you know, physically violent relationship, it is the most dangerous time when a woman decides to leave. And so oftentimes we say, call a shelter, call your local shelter. Unfortunately, these shelters are so overrun right now, especially during the pandemic, that they actually don't have room. Many of them don't have room. Um, And so there's a waiting period. And many women, they don't, they don't have the time. There's no time to wait. Additionally, 
There are other barriers to entry, such as um, we had a woman recently come to us who needed to get out and she needed to get right away. She sent us a video of her house that was covered in blood. She had a teenage boy. Teenage boys are not allowed in women's shelters for a variety of reasons. Um, as the mother of a teenage boy, I'm just like horrified. But this is, you know, I'm, I am. It is. It is based on research and experience and all of those things. And so, whatever. So, what do these women do? What do women do who have these incredible barriers and don't have the financial resources? Right. So, this is why we created the Thrive Fund. And the Thrive Fund pledges to offer financial support to women and femmes in need. We are extremely inclusive. So what we are asking is at this point, we are a sort of a, a, a mutual aid, right? We're not, we're not a 501c3 for a variety of reasons that'll take years for us to, to create, right? And again, we don't have time. We're interested in helping women get to safety today. Not next week, not next month, today. So what we have created with the Thrive Fund is the ability to send literally Venmo women. So the woman who needed to get out and she couldn't get into a shelter, we gave her money to go to a hotel with her children until she could find a shelter that would safely support her. Um, we have been able to give women transportation, rent a car, you know, get phone cards. But here's the deal. We can only do this with the help of contributions from people like you. So, yes, I'm hitting you up for money. This is 100% volunteer run and 100% of all of our donations go directly to funding the financial requests from women and femmes who are victims of domestic abuse. Okay. We need your help. These women need your help. So I need you, <laughs> please, to go to thethrivefund.org, thethrivefund.org, and make a contribution. It can be a monthly, I, we love it if it's monthly recurring. Look, if you can spare $10 a month, if everyone who listens to this podcast right now gave $10 a month, we could help thousands of women. If you gave 25 a month, we could help that that many more. If you want to make a, you know, a one-time contribution and have it not be monthly, we accept that too. We accept everything. If you want to give us $5 right now, we will happily take it because that will go towards helping a woman who needs it, who needs the help. So I personally donate money every month to this fund out of my personal account. This is not, you know, and so I'm asking you to do the same. It's again, it's the Thrive Fund dot org and there's a button right on the website for you to set up your donation um there is a link in the show notes here there's a link on my website kateanthony.com we'll be posting more about this on instagram and stuff but i can't stress how important this is you guys like i can't stress how much women need this help and it is the difference you know this 750 dollars could be the difference between life and death it's the difference between safety and living in danger. And we've got to help more women. The numbers are staggering. They're astounding. And yes, this is for women and femmes because 
over 85% of victims are women and femmes. So without further ado, let's get let's get to today's episode. Rebecca Zung. Y'all know Rebecca Zung. She is one of the top 1% of attorneys in the nation. She's the author of best-selling books, including Negotiate Like You Matter, and the host of the popular Negotiate Your Best Life. She's over on YouTube doing amazing things. Um, she is who many women turn to regarding all things narcissistic abuse and divorce. And I am thrilled to welcome Rebecca as a guest to talk to me about how to negotiate a divorce with a narcissist. So (laughs) in this episode, Rebecca and I discuss many topics, including the differences between overt and covert narcissism um, and strategies for negotiating and disarming a narcissist. We also talk in this episode about how to make your claims of abuse by a narcissist matter in court. Super smart. Super amazing. Um, as always, I'm, I just love Rebecca. She's so on point with all of this. And I also highly recommend her Slay program. It's seriously awesome. It's Slay Your Negotiations with a Narcissist. So um, you'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. All right, here she is, Rebecca Zung. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on to talk to us about all things narcissism. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I mean, they, no, there's not one among us who hasn't had to deal with at least a few. <laughs> at least a few. And yeah. I know that my audience already follows you avidly. People in my Facebook group are always like, Rebecca Zung has a, has a podcast episode about this. Oh, you should check about check out Rebecca Zung on this. So <laughs> my people are talking about you already. So it's about time we had you on. Oh, thank you. Well, and I had you on mine too. So yes. make sure everybody needs to go check everybody that out go too. check. Yeah, go check me out on Rebecca's podcast and all the things on Rebecca's podcast. Because as I think most people know, you are the narcissist whisperer or (laughs) not the whisperer, but you are the, you are the master. You are the pro on all things negotiating with narcissists. That is my niche. It's such a funny thing to say when I'm starting to actually see people again. And just over the weekend, I was at a friend's son was graduated from high school and I was, there were other people there and they're like, oh, what do you do? Oh, well, I teach people how to negotiate with narcissists. <laughs> and then everyone's like, can I talk to you later? Can I, can I, talk, to you? Can I talk to you privately? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's it's what I do. Stopper or give me your card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can't, can't talk now, but. <laughs> I definitely know, have a few that are driving me insane. Yeah. So how did you get into this? Like, how did this become your yeah. niche. How did, your... how did it become my thing? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I feel like my whole life I've been sort of kind of leading up to this in a lot of ways, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. I had a, a divorce practice for a long time. I was a lawyer. I mean, I am a lawyer, but I don't really practice that much anymore. But I, I did deal with them in my law practice. I represented billionaires and celebrities and all that sort of thing. I, I practiced only in Naples, Florida, which is 
very affluent community. And I had the largest family law practice there for a long time. And so certainly I learned how to negotiate at a very high level there. And I've been speaking about negotiation for years and I wrote a book on it with Robert Shapiro writing the foreword. I mean, and really what I thought I was going to be doing is teaching people how to negotiate, period. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, it's like starting to learn how to do YouTube. And so I, I had learned about how to do courses online. And so I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. It's going to be on negotiation in any setting. And around that same time, I realized because somebody pointed it out to me that I was dealing with two covert narcissists in my life. Mm-hmm. And one kind of in a business type of setting and one in sort of my extended family, I'll say. I never say who they are just because I don't want them coming back around me. But I had these two covert narcissists in my life and somebody said to me, they're covert narcissists, which to me was like, I didn't even know what that was because Mm -hmm. to me, a narcissist was a Donald Trump type of a person out there. I'm the best, blah, 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 bragging. That was the only type of narcissist I had ever even heard of. Right. So I never heard of the term covert narcissist. So somebody said to me, read the book, The Covert Passive Aggressive Narcissist, which I highly recommend. It's written by Debbie Mirza. I don't know her. I've never met her. She doesn't even know that I recommend her book all the time. But that was the book that I read. And I literally was on the plane in December of 19, flying to Florida for Christmas and sitting next to my husband reading this book going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Wait, say the title again so everyone catches it. Yeah, The Covert Passive-Aggressive Narcissist by Debbie Mirza, M-I-R-Z-A. I I should reach out to her and interview her. But anyway, the whole time, my husband's like, what is going on with you? I'm like, oh my God, that's what these two people are. I never realized it before. It was so validating. And so I thought, I'm going to do a a couple of videos on how to negotiate with narcissists because I've realized that I could apply what I was learning about narcissism to what I already knew about negotiating and actually get somewhere. And at the time I was still running cases of my own and I actually saw movement. I saw it. People were getting what they wanted. They were settling. It was happening. So I just started trying to do that. And I thought, maybe I'll do a course on that. Mm -hmm. So I came up with the whole idea of it. And I really started to get serious about YouTube at the same time because I was also doing this course. And so that was in March of 2020. It was March 11th. And I had no idea that the whole world was going to change like within a week. And, but that's what happened happened in March of 2020. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. But that's what happened. It was so crazy that I had picked that as the launch date and really started to get serious about YouTube at the same time. And I'm happy to say I've sold thousands of my programs at this point. And, and, and I'm happy to say also that uh, just in the last 30 days, my YouTube channel has had 1 million views. Wow. And so I know that it's hitting a nerve and helping people. I mean, we get hundreds of emails. What are your thoughts on, because I feel like, you know, narcissism is such a hot button topic right now. And I think that, I mean, I have thoughts on 
is everybody a narcissist? Is this something, is this like, was there like a Pandora's box that opened up with Donald Trump? Like we're suddenly seeing this in everybody or people are being more brazen. Like what happened? Yeah. I, you know, obviously it's all speculation. I I mean, I, and I'm not a psychologist. I've just read about a hundred books on narcissism now because it's really a thing, Mm -hmm. but I will say that I think it's a spectrum. I mean, I think I I agree. It is a spectrum. I, I, I think that all people for, first of all, all people want to feel seen, heard and know that they matter. I mean, that's just being a human being. That doesn't make you a narcissist. Right. You know, it's okay to want Mm -hmm. to feel valued. That's right. That's fine. Uh Uh It's, it's when you get all the way to the end of the spectrum where all you care about is you being valued and you don't give a crap about anyone else other than yourself. And you're willing to do whatever you need to, to bring those other people down, step on them, suck value out of them, use them, whatever you need to do. So mm-hmm. that's really the the difference. And, and, and there's times when all of us have narcissistic traits or tendencies. I mean, there are times when you feel insecure or whatever. I mean, that's that's just part of being a human being. Yeah. And, and, and there's just, I think there's people that maybe they're not full blown narcissists. Maybe they're not diagnosed as NPD or whatever, but they have severe narcissistic traits or tendencies and they make people miserable as a result. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have, I, I know many of them, unfortunately. And, and it is a spectrum. Like some of them are completely benign. Like I know people who are just, who are narcissists because of a narcissistic wound from their childhood, that they're equally codependent as they are narcissistic. And they're just, it's like they stopped developing at the age of seven Correct. when the narcissistic brain is actually, that's normal, that's developmentally appropriate, right? Children, do not have the de- sense of the development of empathy and the prefrontal cortex and all of that yet. Right. And Correct. so their brains are, their brains are developmentally sort of more quote narcissistic, right. Right. Self-involved let's say. Yeah. And I know people who basically had some kind of trauma in childhood and that was, and that's where they're stuck. Right. And yeah. so that's like a benign sort of thing. Well, it can be, but that also can build a narcissist. I mean, that's that's what they say actually creates narcissism is, you know, a trauma that happened when they were a child and and or it could be even overindulgence. I've read that mm-hmm, and heard mm-hmm, that from psychologists mm-hmm. as well. But right. it's basically where they had this come to Jesus or aha moment at five or six or seven or whatever age it was and thought the world is a scary place. They came to this conclusion that in order to survive, I have to do whatever I need to do to make sure that I get seen, heard, and, and no one else can survive. If for, for me to survive, others can't. And it, it's a very, they don't have any really sense of self. It's extremely fragile, very, very fragile sense of self. So it's, you know, even the smallest of things will become a thing. For coverts, they're extremely passive aggressive and it's, it's deeply unsettling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The covert thing is 
like an overt narcissist, like just some examples, right? Like an overt narcissist would be someone like Donald Trump, who has no Correct. qualms about sort of saying that he's the he's the greatest at everything. And a covert narcissist is almost more insidious and dangerous because you don't they're sort of they know enough to hide it. Yeah. Right. They know enough to pretend that they have that they're actually interested in you. They're, they're right? smarter in a lot of ways. I mean, the worst thing about the coverts is that they will make the, the rest of the world thinks that they are wonderful. <laughs> They'll go out of their way to be overly generous to certain people, but it's, it's all designed to either make uh, someone else, like whoever their target is, like jealous mm-hmm. or, or put them down in some way, or it's to get something out of, you know, if they're, if they're being overly generous to you and doing th- things for you, whether it's in your career or in a relationship, it's because they want something back out right. of it right. of, at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it's interesting. The narcissist in my life become more and more transparent over time. Like people start to be able to see, I I feel like the older we get, the more people see through it, the more, more quickly other people see through it. Like the narcissist in my life, like when there's like social situations, most people are like, oh yeah, no, I totally get the world of that. (laughs) Well, especially if you've had to deal with them. I, I, I know for me, it wasn't until, I mean, I've certainly dealt with them in my law practice. Sure. Of times. Oh, sure. It wasn't though until I really realized who the two people were in my life that I was like, holy shit, I got to get these people out. And it was not easy. Yeah. I mean, it was not easy mm-hmm. uh, because they don't want their source of supply to walk out the door. Oh, they no. do not want that. No. So no. Um, they'll do whatever they can to keep their grip going. But you gotta, you gotta get out of that if you can, people mm. who are listening, because yeah. it's the only way you'll have peace. Well, so yeah, let's talk about that, right? Because I think the tendency of women that I, most of my, most of my listenership is women, cis hetero women married in cis hetero relationships, not all, but a majority, right? And so I feel like for for many of us, we hear. Or just whether you're a man or a woman, right? If you're if you're at all codependent, and usually codependents are in relationships with narcissists, that's just kind of how it works. And if you're at all codependent, you hear us say like some trauma happened when they're a child, and we go, "Oh, they're just wounded." Yeah, just make them feel that somehow loved. you you can fix it in some way. They just want to be seen and heard, right? So here I am, and I'm I'm seeing and I'm hearing, and why isn't it working? And what's like? How can I? How can I? Right? How can I fix this? Yeah, I mean, I had, I mean, even with this person that I was in sort of a business with, I was like. I knew that this person was very insecure and um, had a lot of issues because she said that she did. But I felt like I can show her that I can be so generous and I'll be so kind and I'll do so many things, not realizing that I was falling into the trap of now I'm giving all this supply to this person and 
and and this person is like, okay, great. Now I'm not going to have to do anything in this business. I'm going to look good. And I'm also going to be passive aggressive to this person and do awful things at the same time. And, and that, but it's like the really paradox with, with narcissistic relationships is they're totally shitty to you. Right. But they want you to continue to be in the relationship with them. Because if you were just better, they wouldn't have to be so shitty. If yeah. you were nicer to them, if you had just fed their fed their egos in a different way, they wouldn't have to be so shitty. Yeah, you just are supposed <laughs> to be giving them more, 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 and more. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you're not supposed to complain about it. And it's supposed to be okay when they start lining up flying monkeys and and do their passive aggressive shit. And it's like you just and it's so interesting. I talked to this other woman that I interviewed one time, and she was like, narcissists don't just walk out of relationships. They run away with their hair on fire. Like, get me the hell out of here. And that's how I felt. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even a, in a romantic situation with right. a narcissist. Right. So, right. I, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's a million times worse in a, a romantic situation. It is. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can confirm. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're dealing with someone who's behavior you're we, when we say professionals right when we say the problem is that they weren't loved as children or that they have a trauma and they just need to be seen and heard in a romantic relationship all we want to do is make that better for them yeah right because we love them but yeah. we don't realize that that's i mean literally not going to happen. There's, it's a black hole. You're feeding a black hole that will never, and you'll just feel sucked dry. You'll be so, yeah, you'll be sucked dry and then you'll have nothing left to give. And then you'll be called cold and heartless and that you have a problem with emotion and intimacy. When you have nothing left and you shut down and you're just like, well, obviously this is a black hole and I can't, and I, like nothing I do is good enough and you stop giving, then you're the problem. Well, so the way I look at it is that they are getting supply out of you during the relationship in whatever form it is that they're getting supply out of you. So mm-hmm. it's, mm-hmm. you know, you're making them look good. You're loving them. You're, 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 you're feeding their ego, whatever it is. Maybe it's adulation, doing things for you, contributing to the household or whatever it is. And so, but they sort of assume you're sort of for them, but with a narcissist, it's always black and white. So you're either for them or against them. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. if you're not for them, then you're against them. And now you become public enemy number one. And so now they have to take you down before you take them down. Now they have to like expose you to the world. They want to look good. You look bad. And it's got to be black or white. I'm the good one. You're the bad one. They will then shift to how they get supply from you. So it's not, okay, I'm no longer getting supply by you adulating me, making me look good, doing things for me, blah, 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 blah. So now I'm going to get supply out of you by controlling you, making you squirm, intimidating you, lighting you up with litigation, using the kids against you, lining up the flying monkeys, starting the smear campaign, all of that, Mm -hmm, because they're mm -hmm. going to continue to get supply out of you one way or another. Right. And it's exhausting. 
Yeah. So how do you, how do you enter, like, how do you deal with that? Like from a, from a divorce standpoint, like, how do you negotiate with that? Like, right. Like, yeah. How do you do that? (laughs) You can do that. But what you do is you have to, so there's a, a, flaw in the premise of how people come to a negotiation with a narcissist, a major flaw. Hmm. And that is that you assume that there is something that they want that will create a resolution. That's right. No, right. Exactly. That is a huge flaw. That's a huge flaw. People think, what is it they want? I'll just give it to them. And then I can be done. And it's interesting because a lot of your listeners, and and maybe you uh, might know who Dr. Joe Vitale is. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was in The Secret and he's written a lot Mm -hmm. of, he's a huge, you know, like a thought leader in this space. And he was, I interviewed him on my podcast and I had never met him before. We popped on, he starts talking and he says, Rebecca, you don't even know this, but I'm in the, in the throes of finishing a divorce from a narcissist. And he said, I thought I'll just give her everything. I don't care. I'll make more. And he said, it turned out to be the worst, most expensive, heinous, horrible, thing he's ever lived through. And he said it was worse than being homeless and worse (laughs) than being in poverty. Yeah. You know, it was horrible. And so, but the flaw in his thinking was what he said right at the beginning. What is it that she wants? I'll just give it to her. Right. And, and what they want is to continue to get narcissistic supply out of you. They're like vultures. Like if there's something to pick out of the carcass, they're going to come back and get it. Right. You give them what they want and then they, they, right. They keep coming back. Oh, they'll change the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Because because it really is. It is like we use the word supply and I want to actually just kind of like pause on that for a second and what that really means. Right. Right. It's like it's, conflict with you is like their heroine. Yeah. So you, you think you can give them like, just give them all the heroin and they'll be fine. But what they want is the needle in your arm. Yeah. Right. They are, they are sucking it out of you. And if then, and if you put the needle in like somewhere else and you're like, well, here you can have it. It's not what they want. They want to bleed you dry. They want to keep sucking it away from you. Because there's so, still supply to be had. So right, how right. you go about it, and this is what I figured out with this whole thing, is that there's actually a hierarchy of supply. Mm-hmm. And they don't even realize that themselves. This is not a conscious thing that they're thinking of. It's just, but the, there's grade A diamond level supply. And the grade A diamond level supply is always wrapped up in their image. Mm. And how they look, the optics of the world, especially to people that they respect. Maybe it's their new form of supply. Maybe it's the world. Maybe it's their flying monkeys. Maybe it's their, like the judge, the mediator, the lawyers, the whoever it is in the system. There's this image that they really want to maintain. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they will protect that more than anything. And so a lot, and a lot of other 
people have a faulty premise that it's money that they want or that they care about. That is always secondary to image, by the Mm -hmm, way. mm -hmm. Yes, right. Yes, for sure. So I call that the grade A diamond level supply. And the rest of the supply, making you squirm, intimidating you, making your life miserable, refusing to give up financial documents, filing frivolous motions, all that stuff, is what I call coal level supply. It burns, it gives them energy, but it's not as important Mm -hmm, as the mm -hmm. image. Mm -hmm. So the key in negotiating with them is doing something that I, I call ethically manipulating the manipulator, which is setting up a strategy and leverage, which is my slay methodology, strategy, leverage, anticipate, and focusing on you and your offensive position such that you are threatening to expose them and therefore they will be begging you to want to resolve the case. Because they'd rather huh. let go of that supply. Basically, you're, you're giving them incentive to release the grip on you. So that's really interesting. So you, in a negotiation, you threaten to expose them to their family, to their Through, through ethical channels by filing a custody evaluation, by deposing their boss or putting putting their boss on a witness list or creating exhibits, summary of lies and inconsistent statements. And you've got all the text messages lined up next to each other. They said this on this day. They said this on this day. They said that, ooh, they said this in an email. They said this in a pleading. And you've got it all lined up in a summary. And you can use that because credibility is always relevant in a court of law. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways. In, in my program, I actually give like 40 plus examples of ways to create ethical leverage against narcissists. So that's how you do it. Fascinating. So, and it works. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. That's such a, I mean, it's interesting because it's not a tactic that I would, but it's, but it's, I mean, I can imagine it's also very, this is a carefully crafted tactic. This isn't you going to them and just blurting out, well, I'm going to tell your parents or I'm going to tell your boss. No, 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 no. No, this is this is strategic. First, first and very foremost. strategic, very strategic, and and the why is focusing on you, your case, your position, your mindset. First of all, your mindset is so important. It's like mm-hmm. at least half the battle. You have to believe you can win. You have to believe that you can do this. And and so many times, I mean, I I do a, a some limited coaching, and and. I will meet with people one-on-one and they're like, I don't believe it can happen. He's way smarter. He always gets what he wants. Everyone always believes his lies. Right. Yes. I hear it all the time. All the time. Yeah. And so Mm -hmm. just know that your words are placing orders to the universe all the time and shift how you're saying it and how you're approaching this. Know that you can win. You never, never, never fail unless you stop trying. And I will tell you this, the narcissists are always the worst right before they're getting ready to give up, but they will give up. 
I mean, if they realize that there's a reason to give up, they will. I mean, it's like hmm. a kid having a tantrum on the floor. Yes. If, if the yes. parents give them some kind of incentive, hey, if you stop uh, having a tantrum right now, you can go to the baseball game or whatever it is, they'll stop. Right. Sure. But then they'll do it again when they want something. Correct. <laughs> but, but, you know, you've got to give them enough incentive not to do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So fascinating. So understand that there's no more supply to be had over here on this side of the fence. It ain't worth it. Go slither down the road and find it somewhere else. Find a new supply. Yep. 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 All right. So this is, I mean, this is so fascinating. So what are some, you, you talk about like ways to disarm a narcissist and some phrases like in communication, like let's say we're not in court, we're not like but we're just trying to get through the day. Yeah. How do we, how do you recommend people actually just, what do they say that can just kind of. Yeah. 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 So the the basic premise of that is you kind of have to start looking at the whole situation as if you are a third party observing, like you're uh, watching the news or something. And, and, you know, I do recommend people, they are very tactically brief in their interactions with narcissists. And if you have to have an interaction, have an agenda or a plan as to how you're going to have that interaction. What is it going to look like? Maybe you limit the scope of what you're going to talk about. Maybe you have a time limit on what you're going to, you know, how long you're going to be in in there because you have to, they they, they use all of their little bag of tricks that they have to try to trigger you. And And a lot of times they've gotten very good at knowing how to trigger you. And and you have to understand that anything you say or do, they'll try to use against you. And so they're trying to goad you to say or do something that they can use. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in that situation, you want to just understand that you're just come at it with like no emotion. So don't, I always tell people, don't add anything emotional. Don't add anything. Your opinion is involved. Don't try, don't try to sway them into believe, getting them to admit that they were wrong or that they did anything against you or that you were so good for them or anything great about you. Don't try to get them to acknowledge you. All that is just wasted breath. So you just never add anything like that. And so I talk about tactical responses sometimes, like where if they send you this long text or email that's filled with all kinds of crap, you're a deadbeat, you're this, you're that, whatever, and and you're a horrible mother, and you're sitting over there like, I'm going to just pick them up from school. I fed them a snack. I took them to baseball. I fed them dinner. I helped with homework. I put them to bed. How am I a horrible mother? But you don't need to say that because it's not when when you're trying don't to defend yourself against never crisis. defend, justify, overshare, never do anything like that. So how I would say that you, I, I call it a tactical response. You would just, if you get that email like that, but there's one line in there about what time to meet to pick up your child or whatever, you just say, I am in receipt of your email. I deny your allegations and you can pick up Johnny at 3 p.m. on Wednesday. So you've, you've received it. You said you've received it. 
you are denying everything and you respond to the only thing you need to respond to. So that that's one of the ways that I tell right. people to do it. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no supply here because when you sit there and go, are you kidding me? I'm this, that, the other thing. That's you have opened them the supply. wound. You've opened the wound. You've stuck the needle in your own arm. Correct. <laughs> right. Exactly. Another thing I love is to say, I agree with you when you're not even agreeing with anything. So you can say, I agree that that is how you believe it happened. I, I agree that, that that's your perception of the situation. I agree that that's your position. I mean, you see how you've said, I agree. So that like the, the things are like, going mm-hmm. off in their brain, like that you're agreeing with them right. and you haven't agreed with shit. <laughs> right. Right. But, but it's, sorry it's like, you feel that way. <laughs> you but you can say, I'm sorry you feel that way. But I, I agree is actually even a little bit better mm-hmm, because you're mm-hmm. giving them sure. agreement, but you're just saying, I agree. That's what you think. <laughs> right. <laughs> but they don't hear that. They just hear, I agree. And they're like, I won. Right. Yeah. There we go. Oh my gosh. They're so. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's so difficult. Right. So. What are some, what are some tricks that narcissists like to do? Like, especially during divorce, like what are some of the, what what are the things that people can, can sort of count on? They're going to try to goad you, as I said, and trigger you into doing things that you'll, they'll be able to use against you. So I, I would, I would definitely suggest using one thing for a form of communication. And I prefer email or a court approved app. Um, if you have kids, our family mm-hmm. wizard fair, whatever, I mean, all of them are good. And I, I do recommend that keeping communication brief because, okay, tricks that they will pull. I mean, it's endless, but lining up flying monkeys, getting people to smear you, filing unnecessary motions, the lying and pleadings, uh, manip- manipulating text messages, refusing to give up financial documents, like using the court system as a sword, using the kids, trying to get the kids to turn against you. I could go on. Sadly, <laughs> you keep using the term flying monkeys and I know what you mean, but I just want to, for the, for the, for the audience who may or may not know, what do you mean by when you say they're lining up flying monkeys? Hmm. So these are the people that they have strategically chosen to be part of their smear campaign. They want these people to believe that they have been wronged by you in some way or that you are the wrong one or both so that somehow or that they're the good one. And they're using, they're kind of gathering their army to use them to make you feel ganged up on. They, They love using phrases like everyone else thinks, or especially this person thinks, especially if it's somebody that might be close to you or somebody that they know you respect or like, this person thinks that you're crazy. Or, or they'll use phrases like no one else thinks that whatever. I mean, because they're right. trying to I've disable to, you. I've talked to a bunch of people and they all think the same thing. Correct. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then, and a lot of times they will start that sort of smear campaign flying monkey thing, even months and months before the end of the relationship. So they might say something to a neighbor like six months before, like, 
Oh, I'm so worried about um, Susie. You know, she, she, she had a lot to drink last night, and I'm just so concerned for her. I think she's depressed, and I'm, I'm just really, really worried about her. And then, like six months later. She, they can say, oh, Susie's an alcoholic member. I told you about that before, you know? I mean, I'm just really, really worried about her, um, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I love it when they turn abuse into concern. Yeah, yeah. It's like my favorite tactic. Yeah, yeah. And so they'll, they'll do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they will. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they will do that I a lot. Think she's on drugs or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or they'll say it to you. I mean, you know, I've had it said to me, like, I'm really worried about whatever. Like, I'm. Have you talked to someone about that? And then that's like a whole gaslighting situation, right? Where it's like, yeah, just because oh. you're you're asking them about something that they're doing. I mean, I, I, you know, I've had situations even with employees where. I've said to them, like, you missed this deadline. And why did you miss this deadline? And now we're going to have to explain to the court or we're going to have to explain. And, and then they say, oh, you're being emotionally abusive or something like that. And it's like, because I'm calling you out about because I'm missing a deadline. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then, right. you, you know, you start to feel like and then defensive. you're like, am I? Am, am I, I, am I, did, did, am was I that emotionally? I, oh my God, I didn't mean it to be that way. You know, then right. you find yourself apologizing to them. <sighs> and it's like, and, and there they go. They've shifted the whole situation when they were in the wrong. Right, right. It's like what we're seeing with cancel culture, right? Like they, everyone's like calling it out for, oh, so you're canceling and we have to stop cancel culture. It's like, or this is a natural consequence of someone's actions, right? Like, let's not, let's not blame the culture. Let's like, we, you know, if we're canceling someone, it's, it's not, we're not canceling them. We're calling them to it. We're holding them to account for something that right. they did. Right. Right. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> well, and, 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 you know, going back to where we started with this conversation, I think that, yeah, I think that there's been a lot of things that have contributed to making it worse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think cancel culture, fake news, all of those sorts of things. I mean, the Asian hate stuff. I mean, there's a lot of things that have made it worse. But I also think in addition to politics, I mean, I would say that social media has contributed to it in a lot of ways. I mean, the kids, like my daughter who just turned 19, like, she and her friends, like if they don't get a certain number of likes or whatever on Instagram, they just delete the post. I mean, like, and that's right. like pretty much everyone in their generation does that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. yeah, I think there's part of it that way. And I know, I think, you know, millennials in general have, are a bit narcissistic. I think that they were sort of baby boomers, kids who were overly indulged and have a sense of entitlement. And so I think that there's a part of it with that as well. I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, these are just my opinions, but. Yeah. I just feel like there's something that happened in the last, and I, and I look, I, I look at the culture from a, I try to look at it holistically. Right. And I just sort of see that this, the rise in conversations about narcissism. So I don't know if it's a rise in narcissism at all, but the rise in conversation certainly happened over the last five, six years while there was also, while it was very clearly playing out on the national stage, right? So, and I don't know whether it was that people were really emboldened to 
be more overt and less covert or if, yeah, it just became more culturally acceptable, like any of those things, right? But it feels like they're just like coming out of the woodwork and, or we've just become, or we have a, a name for it. We've been able to see the signs for of it more. And so we're able to call it out more, which is probably more accurate, right? Yeah, I think that's probably true too. I mean, I used to joke that I was going to write a book called My Wife is Crazy, My Husband is Controlling, because that's what they all used to say. Right. Yep. When yep. I first was, you know, probably the first 15 years of my practice, that's what they would all say. Yep. And now they just all say that they're narcissists. Right. And, and, and the problem with that is that judges and lawyers, a lot of people are just sort of get, doing the eye roll when they hear that term. And so for people who really are in these toxic, horrible relationships, it's, it's right. like they're, they're at the mercy of the whole cry wolf thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I have to say, you know, we have a something in our some situation in our family that I'm not able to really talk about. But I always say, like, it's a it's a diagnosis. There's a diagnosis. There's a there's a, a court mandated psyche valve with a diagnosis, because if you say that somebody is all of the things that this person was diagnosed with, everyone goes, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. But unless you don't even need to necessarily be diagnosed in order for you to get what you want. I mean, so for example, if, if what, you know, just taking it back to the family law setting, I mean, there's only five areas in family law. It's going to be your property division it's it's alimony, your parenting plan or custody, it's child support and attorney's fees. That's it. Those are the areas that the judge cares about. Those are the areas that anyone cares about. They don't care if you were abused emotionally. I mean, if you're abused physically, you can go get a restraining order and that's like a separate thing. But if, if, if you want them to care, you got to put it in terms that the judge is going to care about. How is it impacting your ability to work, for example? So therefore you need alimony. How is it impacting that person as a parent? Is it a risk to your child? Therefore, does it impact the best interest of the child? If you just say it, they don't care. You've got to think about those are the five areas that they care about in law. And if you want them to care about, it's not that it won't matter, but you got to put it in terms that will make them care. That's really interesting. So let's go back over those five things because I think it is important. Like that is a strategy in going into family to family court, going into your divorce with a narcissist that look, I'm also the first person to, to say nine times out of 10, it doesn't matter. Just get the fuck out of there. Right? <laughs> like if this is, if this is someone you're divorcing and if they're a good parent, because many times narcissists are great, they're good, they're good parents. They're not, there's nothing horrible and egregious where they need to lose custody. Right. I mean, it may not be the best parenting, but they're safe. And nine times out of 10, I'm just like, let all of it go. And just you're winning by leaving. Right. But if there are situations, so so let's go back over those five things. It's really important to it's framing. It's how you frame these things. So right. they're so they're spousal support. Well, is, it, it's in order, uh, uh-huh. you know. So so you okay. want to do it in order, which is okay. property division first. Okay. And the reason why property division is first is because if there is a, a significant amount of money involved 
or a pension or something like that, where there's potentially going to be passive income, then it will affect spousal support, child support, and attorney's fees. So you, you do have to look at it in order because mm-hmm. each one affects the next one. Okay. So spousal support or alimony is second because that also impacts child support. It also impacts your fees claim. So it's number one pr- property division included in there is division of debt. Uh, and included in there is any carve-offs for premarital assets or waste or dissipation, things like that, which you can potentially have a claim for. Right. And then second is spousal support. Third is custody or parenting plan. I- included in there is parental responsibility, ultimate decision-making authority, mm-hmm. things like that. Right. The fourth area is child support tangentially related to child support are the things that are not necessarily in the child support guidelines calculation, but need to be handled such as uncovered medical expenses, extracurriculars, things like that. Um, Usually it's a pro rata split, but Mm -hmm. you can always Mm -hmm. do something a little bit different if you want. And then the third, fourth, sorry, fifth area is attorney's fees, which is usually depends on your area, you know, where you live, but it's usually like a, a need versus ability to pay sort of a conversation. Yeah. So each one of those areas has a law or a statute related to it in your state. And all of it is online. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, let's take spousal support. If you live in California, go say alimony statute, California, it'll come right up. And there's going to be factors in there, elements. And it's going to be, I don't know what the California statute says, but I'm going to give it a guess that it just because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm licensed in Florida. So I'll say what mm-hmm. the Florida statute says it's length of the marriage. It's the health of the parties. It's age of the parties. It's whether one party decided to forego a career in order to raise a family. It's disparity in incomes. You know, so they look at a lot of different th- lifestyle is one of the elements that they look at. So what you want to do is look at Okay, health of the parties. Have you been emotionally impacted in a way that you cannot earn what you would have been able to earn because you're going to have ongoing psychological expenses or something like that because of the emotional abuse that you took from this person? Now you're putting it in terms that the judge will care about. And that's right. You're putting it in the bucket that matters as opposed to just like, saying out there in the ether. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people say, oh, the court systems are skewed. They're this, that, and the other thing. Well, the court system is flawed, no doubt, but it is the system that we have right now. And so if you want to win, you want to get where you want to go, you want to get the outcome that you want, you have to put your case and your facts all in terms that the judge is going to care about. So great. I think that's, that's like, that's gold right there. Seriously gold, because it's, I think it's, I think it's one of the most important pieces of advice for dealing with this that I've heard. Really, truly, I think it's, I think it's, it's brilliant. You are brilliant. Rebecca, so, so your program, 
Well, first of all, you have a you have a a free gift for our listeners. Can I you have tell a free us about gift. That? Yes, it's my free crush my negotiation prep worksheet. It's fifteen pages. It's basically an ebook. It's like a really nice free gift because I just want you guys to have awesome foundation. Mm-hmm. And you can get it at winmynegotiation.com. I have it like so. It's so easy for you in to remember. Notes. Yep, yeah. and it's in the show notes. Oh, okay, great. Winmynegotiation.com. Great. That's so awesome. And then your program, your slate program. Slay. Let's talk about, let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I put at literally everything in there that you need, mm-hmm. everything, how to create, first of all, in the S, which is strategy, how to diagnose what kind of narcissist you're dealing with. That way you can expect I have a list in there of each of their behaviors during divorce. So if it's a covert, here's what they're going to do. If it's grandiose, this is what you can expect. If it's Mm. malignant, this is what you can expect so that you're not surprised. Right. Then, So the second part of S is creating your vision. Sometimes you are so deeply into this thing where they're just attacking you all the time. You almost forget. You don't have time to think about And that's, that's part of their strategy. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. What do you want out of this? Right. And be Mm -hmm. specific. What is it that you want and keep your eye on that goal? And so that's the second part of S. The third part of strategy is creating your action plan, which is, I take you step by step through on how to do that. L is leverage. I have so much on the leverage section. I have an entire section just on documentation. I have Mm. documentation at a glance, which is a chart that has 12 things. And I uh, outline every single thing you should be documenting. I teach you how to create summaries and exhibits and all kinds of things that are going to expose the narcissist from your documentation, how to turn it into that magic bullet leverage. I actually have more than 40 examples of leverage in there, including exhibits that I've used in my own cases that I just whited out the names and stuff Mm -hmm. for people to use as samples. I have a sample timeline in there, blank timeline, blank exhibits so that you can fill in your own. I teach you how to create, how how to actually organize it all in terms of those statutes, exactly what I was just telling you about. I have like all the organization in there, literally everything you need to win, including in the why section, I have entire sections on mindset and, mm-hmm. and how to raise your own vibrational frequency and, and all of that. So I made sure it was completely inclusive so that people would have everything they need. Because here's the thing. You don't just need a good lawyer. Lawyers know the law. They don't have access to all the best information you do. It's in your texts. It's in your emails. It's in your social media posts. It's it's in your brain. You know what has happened. Mm -hmm. They don't. Nobody else is as personally invested in it as you are. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. And so um, we're going to have a link in the show notes to to the SLAY program as well, because I think I, I will give it my personal endorsement. <laughs> so I think that's, I mean, it sounds amazing. Amazing. You guys definitely get it. Rebecca, where else can people find you? Uh, YouTube is really the best place for me right now. If you just put in negotiating with a narcissist, I will pop right up. I'm the only one who's out there talking about that, but you, you can put in my name and find me as well there. You can follow me on Instagram if you'd like. That's just uh, at Rebecca Zong, right? Yeah. At mm-hmm. Your Instagram? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. 
thank you so much for coming on and talking about this. I adore you. I we've come a long way since our, since our shack. I know. Encounter. We didn't even talk about Shaq. Oh, we didn't you'll talk to, about Shaq. You'll have to come to my interview of Kate to hear our Shaq story. That's right. There you go. There's the <laughs> teaser. <laughs> We're talking about Shaquille O'Neal, just so you all know. Just, yeah. to, I mean, how it's many Shaqs? Yeah, we're not talking about Shake Shack. We're talking about yeah. Shaquille Shack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Becca, thank you so, so, so much. You're awesome. Thank you. You're awesome. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at the Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.